Escola Latina, Sermo Prima, De Lingua Latina. Latin class, first lesson about Latin. Salute and hello. I am Magister Gregorius, and I want to welcome you to my class. Lessons in the Scola Latina series are intended to help you learn to understand, speak, and write Latin. But before we get started, there are some questions I want to answer. First of all, what is Latin? Well, it's a language. When you think of most languages, you can usually imagine where in the world they might speak it. English is spoken in the United Kingdom, the United States, and many other nations that were once part of the British Empire. French is spoken in France, Canada, parts of Africa. Mandarin is spoken in China. Hindi is spoken in India, and so on. So the question might be on your mind, where do they speak Latin? The answer is, at once, pretty much nowhere, and actually lots of places. It depends on what you mean. Are you asking, where is Latin the official language, or where are there Latin speakers? For the official language side, we Latinists might be proud to claim that Vatican City, the headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church, still officially uses Latin. Sometimes. But outside of being official, you can find speakers of Latin all around the world. In practice, most of them are in Europe and the Americas. Speaking of Latin in the Americas, you might have heard terms like Latin America to describe a part of the world, or Latina, Latino, or Latinx to describe people. What do these have to do with Latin? It doesn't mean that they currently speak Latin, though individuals might. It means their culture can be traced back directly to the culture of the Latin-speaking Romans. Usually, this means people from Portuguese-speaking Brazil or the many Spanish-speaking nations of North and South America. Anyway, if almost no country has Latin as an official language anymore, why is it important? First of all, all languages are important. Tons of languages spoken by small groups of people are in danger of extinction because not enough people thought that they were important enough. Latin is very lucky compared to many of them, because it's been a major world language with thousands to millions of speakers for roughly 2,000 years. It's hard to stomp out a legacy that huge entirely. Latin has a special place in the world. It was the language of a tribe of Italians who became the most powerful group in Italy, then the most powerful in all the lands around the Mediterranean Sea. These Romans built an empire that spread onto the continents of Europe, Africa, and Asia. Even after the political power of the Roman Empire broke apart, Latin was recognized as the language of priests, monks, scholars, and kings through the Middle Ages. Though the Romans started as pagans who believed in many gods, they adopted the Christian religion and helped raise it to its current place in the world. The legacy of Latin is bound to the legacy of the Church. And in many places where Latin is no longer spoken, it still forms the foundation of the languages used today. Some languages have evolved out of Latin, like Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. Some have borrowed many Latin words, like German, Russian, and English. Indeed, more than half of the words in the English language have roots in Latin. Some languages have no connection to Latin at all. I say this mostly for the benefit of the large number of people I've encountered who seem unaware of it. 
There are many languages older than Latin, and many that have been spoken so far away from the Roman Empire that little or no information could get from one to the other. I think it's important to share with you a very brief summary of Roman history at this point. I'll be talking a lot more about the Romans as we go on, but this outline will be your starting point for understanding this rich history. In the beginning, before 700 BC, Rome was just one city ruled by a king. There are many legends about these days that should not be understood as absolutely true histories. This period was called the Roman Kingdom. Around 500 BC, the Romans got fed up with their kings, kicked them out, and started a new government called a republic. The Roman Republic involved a lot more voting than the kingdom. It was almost like a democracy. For the next 500 years, the Romans fought wars with many nearby nations, defeated them, and added their lands to the Republic. In the last hundred years before the birth of Christ, Roman politics got really violent. This was the time when Julius Caesar, whom you probably know by his English pronunciation Julius Caesar, probably history's most famous Roman, lived and died. He was not a Roman emperor, but a relative of his was about to become the first one. The events after Caesar's death led to the end of the Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire around 30 BC. By that time, the sort of democracy that we call the Republic was no longer really in charge. The elected officials had to listen to a special guy called the Emperor, who was kind of like a king. The empire ruled over the southern half of Europe, the land that we call England today, the northern coast of Africa, including Egypt, and part of Western Asia, including the modern countries of Turkey and Syria, as well as the biblical Holy Land. But after another 500 years of many, but not quite all, bad emperors, pandemics, money problems, religious upheaval, wars against other nations, and wars against other Romans... The Roman Empire was too broken to go on. By AD 480, the western half had broken into smaller kingdoms ruled by people groups out of Germany, like the Goths, Franks, and Vandals. The eastern half was okay for a while. We usually call that the Byzantine Empire, but for a long time they still called themselves Romans, even though they weren't in charge of Rome itself and didn't really speak Latin anymore. The Byzantine Empire lasted almost a thousand years after the fall of the West, but it spent most of that time shrinking rather than growing. It was down to just the city of Constantinople when it was taken over by the Turks in the 1400s. That page of history, covering 2,200 years, is the beginning of the answer to the question, why are Latin and the Romans important? The culture and language of the Romans touched the history of a large percentage of the world's people. It left many lasting impacts. So why should you learn Latin? People have many motivations to do so. Maybe it helps your English. I think it's helped mine. Perhaps it teaches you the sort of logic necessary for computer programming. It's possible that you really love history, and being able to understand Latin gets you closer to touching the minds of another time. Or, I don't know, maybe you just like it. Our world might not always work this way yet, but I believe knowledge should be learned for its own sake. A world in which people only bought books they thought could make them a profit would be kind of sad, I think. Latin is a language with a long history. This can make it challenging at times. If you don't know where to look, it can be hard to find words for a lot of things that you might want to talk about that didn't exist 2,000 years ago. 
Many features of the language used to be common a long time ago, but have dropped out of most modern languages, and it can be hard to find lots of sources of spoken Latin to help you practice. These are some of the problems I hope my lessons will solve for you. As I've said, Latin was spoken in many places over a span of thousands of years. As a result, there are many different variations of Latin. You might say that Italian, Spanish, French, and Portuguese are, or were, variations of Latin. Even among languages that we call Latin, it's not always the same. Sounds, words, and even grammar changed over the centuries. For the purpose of these lessons, I will use the version of the language that we call Classical Latin, plus more recent words invented from more recent concepts. If you've ever heard, say, a priest speaking Latin, he might have used a system we call ecclesiastical Latin, otherwise known as church Latin. I'll discuss some of the pronunciation differences in the next episode. It's true that, 2,000 years ago, classical Latin was not spoken on the street and in the homes of regular people most of the time. But it's true in the same way that how you usually talk is different from how articles and books are written. Classical Latin is what we call a standard language. Standard languages are the versions of language officially approved by whoever is in charge of judging how other people talk. Whenever someone warns you not to say ain't or end a sentence with a preposition, they're trying to enforce standard English even if they understood what you meant. In my professional opinion, there's nothing wrong with using language that's not standard, as long as the reader or listener can understand the writer or speaker. So when I teach you the fiddly little bits of Latin grammar, know that my only motive is to help you understand the puzzle-like structures of some advanced Latin writings. Most of what has been saved since the Roman era was written in classical Latin rather than everyday regular folk Latin, so that's the version we know best. Hopefully, if you've stuck with me so far, you think Latin is a language worth studying. Great! So, how does someone learn a language anyway? You can think about this question either as, what do you need to know, or what do you need to do? Let's tackle the second one first. To learn most languages, you need to practice their four components, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. Many traditional Latin programs have an unfortunate tendency to give listening, speaking, and sometimes writing the short end of the stick. The format of this class as a podcast has an effect on the focus that each of those four receive. In my lessons, you will have many chances to listen, obviously. I can't make you speak Latin, but I will strongly encourage you to repeat with me when I say something in Latin if you are able to as you listen. I also strongly urge you to view the blog posts that accompany each new episode, where you'll be able to read the example sentences. I know that lots of people listen to podcasts while they're doing other things, though, so it won't be totally necessary, just helpful to you. Writing might be the biggest challenge. If this podcast can build up an active community in the future, there may be opportunities to interact with writings from listeners. If you practice listening, speaking, reading, and writing, the four core skills of language learning, you will become skilled in the language as a whole. But in order to do those four things, there are three domains of language knowledge that you need to acquire. Vocabulary, morphology, and syntax. You probably already know what I mean by vocabulary. That's the words in the language. 
Morphology is the way words change their spelling and pronunciation to show some difference in how they're being used. Simple English examples include adding s to make a noun plural, or adding ed to make a verb past tense. I'll be upfront with you, Latin morphology is one of its most challenging parts. You may get sick of all the different endings. I promise they'll get easier as we go along. Then there's syntax, which is the way words fit together to make sentences. You could possibly group morphology and syntax together to make a category called grammar, if you were so inclined. Vocabulary, morphology, and syntax interact with each other in any language, and the interactions are unique to each language. In Latin, different vocabulary words can require different morphology. Maybe you know all the endings for the noun luna, moon, but you don't know any of the endings for sol, sun. For this reason, the morphology rules you know may limit the range of vocab words that you can really use. Syntax tells you when you can use certain forms from your morphology. Endings tell you what a noun's job is in a sentence. Sol and luna are subjects, but solen and lunang are direct objects. And different kinds of sentences require different kinds of verb forms. The intersection of vocabulary and syntax can take the shape of idioms, or the special and often unexpected ways in which words interact with each other in a sentence. For instance, to ask how someone is doing, we can't just literally translate each word by itself. We have to know the idiom. In Latin, you literally ask how people have themselves, not how they're doing. Which reminds me, when I'm teaching in a classroom, I never let my students leave the first day of class without learning at least the basic greetings in Latin. So, say after me as I repeat each word or phrase, then its English translation, three times. I'll say the Latin, then the English, and you'll say the Latin and the English in the space I leave for you, three times each, if you are able. Salve, hello. Salve, hello. Salve, hello. Hey, easy enough. If you check the vocab list for this episode in the blog post, you'll find that this word is spelled with a V, but you don't hear a V sound. Instead, you hear a W sound. We'll be talking about that a bit more next lesson. A couple more things about Salve. Most Latin words, I'll say this again so you can really pay attention, most Latin words can be translated in a few different ways. I will usually limit the number of possible translations I offer you in a new vocab section to keep it simple. But be aware that most words you come across could be translated a few different ways. Salve can be translated as hello, but it can also be hi. It's a good rule of thumb that words in English that mean pretty much the same thing can be translated into Latin with the same word. Salve literally means be healthy. For this reason, it's also a good thing to say when someone sneezes in Latin. It's in good company with the related words salud in Spanish and salute in Italian, which both mean health and are used as sneeze responses in those languages. It doesn't sound at all alike because it's not based on Latin, but the German word Gesundheit is the exact same thing. One more time. Salve, hello. Salvete, hello, plural. 
Salwete, hello, plural. Salwete, hello, plural. Hang on a moment. Hello, plural? How can hello be plural? First of all, to be clear, if you were translating this word from Latin to English, you would not say plural. If you could see my script here, you'd see that plural is in parentheses because it's a note about the word, not part of the translation. So back to the weirdness, how can hello be plural? You say salwete instead of salwe if you're saying hello to more than one person. That's all there really is to it. Talking to one person, salwe. Talking to two or more, salwete. Wale, goodbye. Wale, goodbye. Wale, goodbye. Wale sounds a bit like salwe, which you should recall means hello. Both words feature that V that sounds like a W. Also like salwe, in addition to wale being used for goodbye, wale has a more literal definition. Wale really means be strong. Just like how salwe means hello or hi, wale means goodbye or just bye. So I hope you see this next word coming, but it's okay if you didn't. Walete, goodbye, plural. Walete, goodbye, plural. Walete, goodbye, plural. In the same way that we say salwe to one person and salwete to a group for hello, we say wale to one person and walete to a group for goodbye. Cuomodo te habes, how are you doing? Cuomodo te habes, how are you doing? Cuomodo te habes, how are you doing? Hey, I actually mentioned this one before we started vocabulary. Like I said then, the literal meaning of cuomodo te habes is how do you have yourself? Cuomodo means how, te is you or yourself, and habes is you have. If you were to translate each word directly in the order in which you found them in Latin, you'd have the nonsense sentence, how yourself you have. Obviously, this is not good English. I could explain everything you could ask about how we get from how yourself you have to how do you have yourself, but I don't think that's a good use of the time we have left in this lesson. This is really a part of the art of translation, and that art is something that will develop over many lessons. Anyway, since cuomodo te habes, how are you doing, is a question, it needs answers, right? I offer you five. Optime, really great. Optime, really great. Optime, really great. Really great is how you might translate optime when answering the question, Cuomodo te habes? How are you doing? It will mean other things at other times, like very well or most well. The words optimist and optimism are English relatives of optime, and they refer to people who usually feel really great about the future. Bene, well. Bene, well.
Bene, well. You could reasonably translate bene as good when it's an answer to quomodo te habes. Well is the most reliably correct translation of bene. Mediocriter, okay. Mediocriter, okay. Mediocriter, okay. Mediocriter is what you'd say if you're feeling neither good nor bad. If you've ever met the English word mediocre, it's a relative of mediocriter, and it means pretty much the same thing. Male, poorly. Male, poorly. Male, poorly. Just like how bene could be well or good as an answer to quomodo te habes, male could be poorly or just bad. Again, poorly is more reliably correct. Pessime, really bad. Pessime, really bad. Pessime, really bad. Again, you could translate pessime as really poorly. It's the opposite of optime, which meant really great. In the same way, pessime is related to the English pessimist or pessimism, words which describe people who usually feel really bad about the future. Me bene habeo. I'm doing well. Me bene habeo. I'm doing well. Me bene habeo. I'm doing well. If you want to be extra polite and proper when someone asks, Quomodo te habes, how are you doing? This is the perfect, complete sentence response. Swap out bene for optime, mediocriter, male, or pessime based on how you feel. Me bene habeo literally means, I have myself well. Me, myself, replaces te, yourself. Habeo, I have, replaces habes, you have. Bene, male, or whatever word you pick, replaces quomodo, how. Me bene habeo, I'm doing well. Gratias ago, thank you. Gratias ago, thank you. Gratias ago, thank you. More literally, gratias ago means I give thanks. Even more literally, it means I do thanks, but that sounds silly in English. We often shorten this to just gratias. If you've learned enough Spanish to recognize gracias, or enough Italian to recognize grazie, these words are relatives, as are the English words gratitude or grateful. You can express bigger thanks by saying gratias maximas ago, which means I give the greatest thanks. You could also add the word tibi to the sentence, anywhere really, which means to you. Gratias tibi ago, I give thanks to you. Libenter, you're welcome. Libenter, you're welcome. 
Libenter, you're welcome. Now, literally, libenter means freely. Here's why we use it for you're welcome. The idea is that whatever thing you're being thanked for, you did it because you wanted to. You did it freely. You weren't expecting a reward of any kind. So though it literally means freely, we say libenter to mean you're welcome. Gratias ago. Libenter. Quaiso, please. Quaiso, please. Quaiso, please. Quaiso literally means I ask or I beg. There are other ways to say please in Latin, but this is the easiest and will do for now. Quaiso, please. Me painetet, I'm sorry. Me painetet, I'm sorry. Me painetet, I'm sorry. Literally, me painetet means something like, it makes me upset. The English word penitentiary is a fancy word for a prison with the idea that it's a place for people to go feel bad about what they've done. It comes from the painetet of me painetet, which of course means I'm sorry. Ignosce mihi, excuse me. Ignosce mihi, excuse me. Ignosce mihi, excuse me. If you think ignosce sounds a little like ignore or ignorant, you're on the right track. By saying ignosce mihi, you're asking the other person to not think about or forget about any rude thing that you might have done. Well, I think that's a good start. You might have some questions like, what's going on with the order of words in these sentences? Or, how do both me and mihi mean me in different sentences? And why does me sometimes mean myself? These mysteries will be addressed in future lessons, but there's a lot of groundwork to lay first. To practice your vocabulary, please check out the link to the Quizlet flashcard set on the blog post at ahenobarbus.net. That's A-H-E-N-O-B-A-R-B-U-S dot net. I hope you'll come back next time to continue your Latin language journey with Abecedarium, the Latin alphabet. Wa later!